Hello, and welcome to the Dumb It Down podcast. I'm your host, Eric Larson, and we're here to talk about work in a way that's authentic and relatable. I couldn't tell you what half of my friends do for work, so I set out to fix that in a podcast that I could share with an audience that's curious about what young professionals do and where they want their careers to go. Today, we're joined by Lewis Martin, business consultant at Charlton Morris. Charlton Morris is here to change the way the world sees recruitment, and Lewis is here to do just that as well. Lewis lives in London, but has made noise all the way across the pond here in the U.S., where the smart buildings industry is growing fast. And whether it's helping conglomerates or startups find talent, Lewis is your guy. And Lewis and I met briefly, connected on LinkedIn, and had a conversation. He's just a really sharp guy that just wants to help people whether it's work or just network, and has found some success doing that through uh, many different things, including finding mentorship and helping to start the smart building section under the industrial section of Charlton Morris. So he's, uh, he's done a lot of good work, and I'm excited to have him on. Welcome, Lewis. Hello, and welcome to the Dumb It Down podcast. I'm your host, Eric Larson. Today, joined by Lewis Martin, and in a little bit different episode, I've had a lot of people I'm close with on here, and Lewis and I have talked a couple times, but haven't met in person, are looking forward to doing that soon at the RealCom conference in Orlando, but uh, Lewis, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Excited to chat with you. Yes, I'm excited as well. Lewis has a background in recruiting, specific to smart buildings, which is the industry I work in, kind of a combination of industries but i guess we could touch on that um but lewis a little about your background you're a long way from me and the united states so uh, a little bit about kind of where you grew up and how you got into the side of the business yeah sure um so uh grew up in cambridgeshire um a very rural small village um just just outside of uh, peterborough um went to an all-boys school which um was as tame and boring as you can probably imagine. <laughs> um, went to Leeds University, um, started to study sports marketing. Uh, not many people know this actually. Started to study sports marketing, uh, absolutely hated it. Hmm. Um, so changed to marketing um, and yeah, just a combination of variety of different techniques and, and industries combining with sort of sales. Um, that was my niche and um, a, uh, a really good time of my life. Um, and then left university, um, was working for uh, a tele-sales company. Um, and uh, the only way I can describe it to you, I know you've got tele-sales in, in North America, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it, it's just one of the most soul-destroying jobs um, yeah. ever going. It was, it, it was a very short um, stint of my career. Um, I was just looking to fill, fill a gap basically. And then I, um, I had a friend who was, uh, who was in the year below me at university doing a placement year. Um, he, he reached out and just said, Hey, I'm working for this company called Charlton Morris. Um, it's definitely up your street. Um, just come in and have a conversation. Um, had a few conversations with, uh, the leadership team. Um, I was what, 21 at the time, 22 at the time. So um, still naive. <laughs> uh, 
And yeah. Um, yeah, just just loved it. The the culture back then was transitioning out of old school sales and old school recruitment or headhunting executive search, but it still had that element of like a fiery, really hustly bustly office. Mm -hmm. um, and it had a, and still does have a, a really good culture. Um, so I took the job. Um, first year was really understanding my market. Uh, I guess before that, um, I was brought on to maximize our efforts in building automation. Uh, we had okay. a really, we had a really strong industrial automation team. Um, so recruitment, executive search, talent solutions, advisory, and there was like, right, this this surely makes sense if we just put someone in building automation. It's like transferable. Yeah, if let me can... back you up for a sec. So sure. you know, thinking if some of our listeners aren't in the smart buildings industry as well. So from my understanding, Charlton Morris is kind of focused on industrial recruiting or certain technical jobs and building automation, which is kind of smart building systems and software was the initial focus. Now you're saying that they thought it would be kind of plug and play and it ended up being kind of complicated. Is that right? Yeah. Well, at the time we were, so, so just to give you a bit of context, Charlton Morris, it has three divisions. So you've got CM life science, CM medical and uh, CM industrial. Okay. Um, Back in 2017, when I joined, the business was called CM Energy or the division. Um, and it was just mainly focused on oil and gas, construction, uh, mining, so really heavy industries, um, uh, industrial automation and robotics, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the individual who was in the industrial automation team was just like, let's put someone in building automation. So I think actually what happened was, um, they placed a really senior person um, at a company called Automated Logic in Europe. And they was like, wow, like this, we could probably do more here. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> Tried to plug me in. Um, first couple of years, again, was just um, integrating myself into the business, really understanding like our products, services, solutions, um, and did building automation for some time and then realized like maybe I should start to look at this a little bit more holistically. Um, as you know, like building automation is just one component of a smart building or a smart building solution. Um, and that's when we started to transition out and, and grow the team. So we have individuals now who do building automation um, working with mechanical contractors. We've got individuals doing um, MSI, SI work, um, still working with the OEMs, uh, but the larger portion of our work now comes with um, sort of either seed, Series A, Series B, Series C um, startups or technology firms, either in the, pardon me, either in the smart building technology space or the, um, again, holistically, the real estate tech space. Sure. Um, so it's it's been a good ride. Um, we're we're pretty good over here. Um, we're... I would say we're one of the most innovative companies, not in just the solutions we offer, but also how we treat staff. Um, we introduced a four-day working week policy, so no oh, one works Fridays. That's so cool. <laughs> you said yeah. you were skeptical at first and then kind of accepted it and embraced it? Well, I think because the smart building space moves so quickly, um, you can often 
let's say you have take a Friday off and then you get to Monday and you, everything's changed. You're like, wow, what's, what's actually happened over the last three days? Mm-hmm. So that was my issue. And I was, I, I am still a little bit of a workaholic. So I was like, that's never going to work. Um, I'm always going to work the Fridays, but um, really like it's, it's just one of the best initiatives we've ever um, rolled out as a company. Um, We've always had really strong um, staff retention um, and uh, employee engagement, but it's just through the roof now. I think on Friday we had our, which is uh, contradicting myself, on Friday we had our uh, end of financial period wrap-up as a company, uh, all went over to our uh, new HQ, uh, which is in Leeds. Um, And one of the we do a, an employment survey or an engagement survey and it was something ridiculous like 94 and 95% engaged across 130, 140 people. Nice. Um, so to me, that's just super, super high, but there may be other companies who are doing better. Uh, but yeah. 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 It's- no, there's, there's so many directions we could go because uh, it's, it's interesting talking to you because you are now the recipient of like, a culture change in that kind of decision of the four day work week. And you're experiencing that as an employee, but at the same time, you're trying to recruit others to these companies and hoping that those mission and vision and values match kind of what you believe in, what the person believes in. Um, But to kind of take a step back before we dig into that as a recruiter, or, you know, maybe that's the, the, maybe I could use a different term. (laughs) I would be curious. Um, business consultant. There we go. As a business consultant, uh, like what? What is your day to day? You spend some time recruiting people. You spend some time recruiting companies. Like what is that at a high level? Uh, so I guess just a normal day. Get into the office uh, around quarter to eight. Plan the day. So the first hour would be ensuring my team, both in Cambridgeshire, because we've got. Uh, an office now, which is specifically for smart buildings and real estate in Cambridgeshire. And we also have consultants who work in my team um, in Leeds to ensure that everyone has everything that they need in order to have a productive and proactive day. Mm -hmm. Um, The key for making the four day work week work is that everyone's on task and engaged and um, they have their day planned out, not necessarily by hour by hour, but certainly they've got tasks for each part of the day. Um, So I'd say it splits into three. Um, One third is um, collaborating with individuals in my team. Um, We hire both experienced recruiters and also um, graduates. So uh, it's a good combination for the culture, but also it does take some time making sure that everyone has what they need. Um, Certain people may not have the the knowledge and the um, the confidence with clients. So you give them training or uh, assist them with that. Um, same thing for candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially just making sure that um, everyone is going to have a, a proactive day. Um, the other, the other, uh, the second third um, is with clients. Um, so that's working with new and, and also um, existing clients. Um, and then the third is, is candidates, which is our main product, I guess, of what we sell. Um, and that's working with working with those candidates to see if we can collaborate on current hires that we have on our books, or can we see something coming up with a new 
um, existing client in, let's say, two or three months, which may be a benefit for them. And then we can look to assist bridging the gap. Um, but I would say, which is what most people are like, like about Charlton Morris is that no two days are the same. So one day you could be flat out working with candidates or do you just have a day which is spent around um, team uh, team bonding, team training, um, or you, similar to what's going to happen with me on Thursday, it's just going to be spent on content, recording podcasts. Sure. And it's just like, it's just nice to have that flexibility and just complete change in the day. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, no two days are the same, I think is, is common, but it sounds like you live it. Um, and, and getting to talk to a bunch of people, like I'm sure you're pretty extroverted. I guess that's, that's part of the job and part of the fun as well. And your comment about telesales hit home too, because I did that for some time. Uh, and it does develop, you know, kind of a skill like talking to people and doing it remotely. And in this kind of remote world, podcasting, Zooms, et cetera, uh, it's well, probably helped you out too. Well, and, and also, um, you you can get individuals um, who are really good at the job, but for, find it very difficult when someone says no. Like someone, mm. there's there's lots of no's in recruitment or providing talent as a service. Um, but life. because I've had that, yeah, in life. <laughs> uh, but because you've had that telesales experience where ninety five percent of the calls you have are no. Um, you're you're able to deal with those objections um and it's very cliche but um i think it's a sales quote but it's not a no forever it's just a no right now ah there you go that's a good that's a good outlook um cool so so yeah sounds like charlton morris does does a lot of good kind of innovative things i know you've got a big linkedin presence you're kind of connecting with people to feel out right if it's right now or if it's not just to make the connection and kind of stay in the industry. Um, and I, I think it's it's a pretty cool model. Um, but one thing that kind of the initial season of my podcast focused on was about engineering and uh, some people in sales and people in project management, one with a PhD, like kind of all over the place. But the theme that kept coming back for a lot of people that most mostly those that went to industry rather than those who continued education is you know, I don't feel like the skills I learned in engineering as far as the computational side of things translated to a job. Um, and I know that from my career and talking to some of those people, engineering is kind of like this baseline that you have to hit to get the job. And then after that, you could talk about other things. So I just your perspective on one, what companies like how much they're they're, they're how strict they are about that. And then two, what your thoughts are as far as education goes uh, in hiring. Um, so I think the first point, uh, when I first started in this space, having a degree was was an absolute necessity. Any degree, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, ideally, it would be mechanical engineering because that's the the predominant amount of a building, a building system. Um, but I would say, given the talent shortage, um, there has become that leniency. Um, we're also quite fortunate to have certain individuals or certain organizations or affiliations that are continuing to drive individuals through the space. So whether you've got two years experience, you want to take some training programs, we've got more facilities. I say we, Royal We. There are more facilities in the space where you can you can go do that. 
the company may even pay for that. Um, and then also bringing other individuals into the space, um, we're getting better at that. So I would say it's not necessarily important, um, but what I would say is that it does increase your chances of um, being able to, to be promoted quicker um, because you are going to have a better understanding of the space quick at a, at a quicker rate as opposed to someone who works their way up through the ranks. Um, and also the, the compensation side, um, you are more than likely going to get a, a higher rate in compensation. Um, but I think from, I guess, just from a, an honest standpoint, I, I love the, the, the working your way up route. I think individuals that, that do that in the space, whether it's on the building automation side or someone comes through and works in sales or on the, uh, on the, the tech side, I've got so much respect for individuals that do that. Um, and more often than not, they're probably the most hungry and um, the most energetic about the company, the product, what they're doing day to day. Um, and they are real assets for your company. Cool. Yeah, that's a good note. And one thing that I've not struggled with, I'm not necessarily looking, but... I think that once you're in one sales position, you may be pigeonholed into doing the next sales position. And when people are reaching out, you know, a lot of times it's searching the same title or something like that. Would you say that that is a difficult gap to bridge? And it's kind of because of the companies kind of needing to fit a round peg and a round hole or what? And then additionally, what one could do to kind of get past that. Yeah. And I think yeah, you, you, this is probably the, as from a candidate standpoint, thinking out loud, that's probably one of the most frustrating, one of the most frustrating things for individuals, like hypothetically on LinkedIn is that you'll, you'll message them about an account executive role, but it's absolutely no different to their, their current role. So, a lot of individuals don't want to make that lateral move. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I would say what's most important and probably something that we'll discuss later is, is having some individuals that you trust within the space or within your internal organization, uh, mentors, um, where you can share your short-term and, and long-term goals. Um, and I, this may be a phrase that, that you've seen in the space as well, but I always reverse engineer everything that I do. So if I want more clients, then I'll think about that's the goal, but then I'll think about how you get there. And that should be the same for everyone else who maybe is in sales right now and wants to move to engineering. Um, and you think about how do I, that's the goal, but how do I get there? And it might be, well, I need to take a couple of training courses in programming or um, in um, troubleshooting. Um, or maybe you need to move to a smaller company, so I'll be exposed to more stuff. Uh, I think there's there's definitely a lot of routes individuals can take. It's just um, having that understanding and also the the openness to to explore. Um, you're you're absolutely right. I think a lot of individuals see themselves. They've got a sales background. They're going to have to stay in sales when that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and people kind of working through that either at one company or making moves to do that. Ideally, right. You get some skills, whether it's uh, some online training classes, whether it's a couple projects you asked to be on at your current job, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, but just in general, 
how often would you kind of suggest, I know this is going to differ person by person, but people switching jobs or switching roles, like what would you see that would kind of scare you on a resume? And, you know, if, if you're there for three to five years, I know things have shifted a little bit to people are jumping a little bit quicker, but what, what would you kind of recommend for a career path? What, in terms of the tenure? Yeah, we'll start with that. Uh, well, I think the, the question in general, it's, it's a good question. Tough, tough question because as we've seen with all of the, the technology coming into the space, more specifically across smart buildings or prop tech, uh, there's a lot of companies that do exactly the same thing or in essence do the same thing, um, but it's how they position themselves in the space so they get one candidate or one person to move to that, that, to that, that company. Uh, they may have been oversold that, so then they have to move to another company. Mm -hmm. um, I think for, for me, if I was going to look at an ideal candidate to work with, um, I wouldn't want to neglect individuals who have amazing experience and may have changed their job three or four times. I'd want to understand why, why that is first before we say, sure. or before, before I, I, I just completely reject them, like uh, the client's not going to like that because you can justify that. Um, or at least I've, I'm, I'm able to justify that and the team is. Um, but ideally, you'd want someone who has longevity in positions, someone who is either able to stay within an organization for two, three, four years. Um, if they've been promoted, then that's obviously advantageous to themselves and also um, the, the ability that they may be able to, to work hard and be promoted in other organizations. Um, but I, I also I also think that this is just an area in which we're probably going to see more and more, um, especially because of COVID. Um, everyone wants a position which is going to be completely stimulating and, and the stimulation side of things, it can run dry quite quickly, Yeah. Uh, especially in the tech space, uh, the startup tech space. Um, funding could run out or culture's changed or True. people have moved on, the mentors have moved on, so they have to... So there's a lot of different factors and elements that are involved in that. Um, and I think it's probably, as a candidate, just really important that you just take your time. Um, <clears throat> because hiring at the moment, it, it moves so, so quickly. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Which is it's good as a recruitment consultant because you're able to, to move candidates into positions quicker than ever before, but also you need to have the open and frank conversation with these individuals and just be like, this is, this is going to move at this rate. Um, are you happy for that? Do you have all the answers? What questions are you unsure about? How can I assist you? Um, again, the, of course the, the client pays recruiters, but ultimately the candidates are the product. So you have to treat the candidates and this is, this has actually leveled the playing field. If not, uh, it's now a candidate's market. You have to treat them, um, I guess, very, very carefully and, and preciously because, um, yeah, they they have the ability to to have five, six, seven different other companies that want to hire them. Right, right. And you've seen that shift in the last couple of years. How, how many years have you been with Charlton Morris? Uh, five. Almost, well, coming up six years in August. Okay. Nice, nice. And First, even yeah. in those six, I guess, pre and post COVID, have you just seen this 
complete shift or was it more gradual? Well, for example, we when we in, in the first two years, um, we was working with a lot of uh, regional system integrators, or at least I was in, in the US. And if uh, if a candidate had on their resume, let's say three job changes in 10 years, then it was like, no, sorry, disregard. Don't want no, them. Wow. Yeah, just no. Whereas now we're working with candidates uh, because they have a specific skill set a really um, a skill set which is just completely short um, within the space that may have had three positions in six years. Mm-hmm. So you can see the transition where companies are having to open their eyes, look with fresh eyes, and if they've got the experience, as long as that you can attract them and then engage them during the position, um, then they they should have every chance of staying within an organization for two, three, four, five years. Yeah. Um, but it also comes down to like the company not overselling themselves because you do get that a lot. Um, the race for talent, it's it can be quite vicious and sometimes um, you can oversell, not, not myself because I like to be very open and honest. Otherwise it could land me in problems in two or three months True. time. Um, but you will get organizations that just completely oversell them their position what they're doing and then six months down the line the candidates already looking for change so i think this important terminology is really key to what we do uh, what i advise my team to do but it's it's manage expectations it's just as simple as that um i'd rather yeah and i i was gonna kind of go down that path because i do feel like it's a it's a seller's market or it's the people's market. It's the, your product, your customer is talent. And we kind of have the ball in our court right now where you can be kind of selective and picky and do your example was, was right on the money. My question would be for companies, do you think that they've kind of caught up to that? And you kind of started going down that road, but I feel like there's the startups, which are saying, you know, we promise this culture and this and that. And then there's some of the older companies who are still probably copying and pasting job descriptions from five years ago that say, we have a dynamic <laughs> culture and don't mean yeah, yeah. Do you think that one is way ahead of the other in terms of talent versus companies or what's, what's kind of your outlook on that? Um, I, I personally think that for candidates, candidates want to have more exposure or at least the individuals that we're working with. So, and this is across... We as a business, we specialize in the industry as opposed to function. So we're working with people from marketing, sales, operation, engineering, mm-hmm. DevOps, um, and having the opportunity to be exposed to, to much, much more as opposed to being rigid, a lot of red tape. And, and I'm not discrediting conglomerates because we work with a lot of conglomer- conglomerates, but yeah. that, that there's, there's a serious shift in, in being able to have that ability to see much more and i think as a startup or let's say a company that is 300 people less it's a lot easier for them to make a new policy about flexible working or work from home when you want or whatever it is well apart from airbnb (laughs) um (laughs) this is true yeah um whereas if you're going to a company that has five ten thousand the the ripples that would have within the organization is astronomical. So it's just about managing that. So I think 
uh, there's definitely more opportunities in terms of exposure and experience at, at startups. And I think the individuals that we're working with want that. Um, and a key element, <clears throat> especially when you're working with sales individuals or uh, business development individuals, is if it is a smaller business, like the, the benefits may not be that great. Um, the base and bonus may not even be that great either. But if you're a startup and can tie someone in for three or four years with stock options or equity, then you're mm -hmm. onto a real winner. Yeah. And you're kind of the translator then between the company and the, the talent. So would you say it's pretty difficult to get a feeling of the culture fit from a conversation or two, or, you know, maybe over the years you've gotten better at that? What would yeah, you say is, yeah, how do you, how do you judge that? Well, I, I, I don't treat clients as clients. I treat them as friends really, which I know it sounds really, really cliche, but um, <laughs> you, I, I just feel like when you have that type of relationship, like some of the conversations I'll be having in Orlando, or I imagine you'll be having in Orlando next month, you're able to have really open and honest conversations, like to get a better understanding of the culture. I think ultimately the culture element is probably one of the, the hardest for us to measure because we're not there um, some clients we haven't seen face to face or we're working with them in APAC or within North America. So it can be quite challenging. So we can get the candidates experience. We can get um, the candidates interest into the company, right. Uh, and vice versa. Um, but it needs to align between the, the candidate and client in terms of culture. Sure. Uh, we, we, we can certainly try. And, and this, this goes back onto my previous point which is that um, we're, we're never going to oversell something because um, th th there's no need to. Um, we don't want a candidate to take a position with one of, our, one of our clients and then five or six months later, they're disgruntled because the culture's bad or mm -hmm. uh, we said something which never happened and, and vice versa with the client. So it's, it's just about having really open conversations with both clients and also candidates managing their expectations and, if there's a fit then great, if not, then we're not going to force it. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like since you do have clients as a company that are longer term contracts, you get to know the culture a little bit better, you know, your results, you're getting feedback from them because if people are staying and they're happy, that's good. If people are leaving quickly, you would hear about that quickly too. So that's interesting. Um, a couple more mm -hmm. questions. So one, the culture fit, you know, we're both young guys. We probably, uh, care about that more than some others and you know the generational shift for caring about culture versus caring about salary is that something that you see when you're recruiting I would say because of COVID and I actually did a poll on this as well um, in terms of what's most important for someone joining a new company is it money is it culture is it technology is a work environment and the the highest response was culture the second was technology the third was money mm. um so i think culture is is massively important um and i think it's it, it's it's just an area in which if companies don't have it right or for example if your policy isn't right for 
benefits that you have and they've got something that they want to have within your organization then it's not going to work out so it's it, the the recruitment space has now become even more complex than what it used to be but also it's it's quite rewarding as a consultant when you do find those fits because it's like i've done a good job there i've changed again this sounds really cliche but it's like i've changed someone's life for good they've, they've moved into a position that they've told me they wanted and also the client needs that skill set. Um, so I think it, it's just about having multiple conversations with different stakeholders within an organization to gain their thoughts on, on culture and um, what they like about the position, what they don't. Um, we, we as a business, we, we have platforms that we have um, introduced to clients. They're our own technology. Um, which um, can provide really good insight to candidates for a certain client's culture, why their why their VP or why their CEO built the business, why he's still there, or why the why the VP of business development why she wants to continue working, or why she's um, not left yet. And I think that's also beneficial to individuals in the uh, in the recruitment space or going through that. Um, that recruiting journey for sure yeah no that's uh that's an interesting poll and it does sound rewarding when you change someone's life because shops can be life-changing <laughs> too so that's that's awesome um i'll leave you with one more we've got a little uh delay here from the from the london to charlotte uh, yeah <laughs> internet but that's fine so one more question but i wanted to ask you know like what would you recommend someone have like the best skill for getting a job but, you know, there's so many cliche answers, like you have to be able to communicate and work as a team and anything like that. What would one kind of out of the box trait be that you've seen that makes kind of a successful candidate? Uh, I would say, I mean, there's there's two areas, probably. So th this works really well in our team is when you hire individuals who have absolutely no sales or recruitment experience, but just the 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 absolute like the the biggest hunger to be successful um and that's what we've seen in in some of our businesses or some of our clients um higher as well um but i would say being adaptable being open to change being completely flexible within an organization um is key um because whether you're whether you're in a startup organization or, or a conglomerate uh, more so probably with a startup, but you are going to be pulled from pillar to post, um, and I think that's absolutely I think that's absolutely fine. Like if anything, like that's great. It's great exposure, um, but having that that adaptability to to know you're doing different things on different days, I think it's important, um, especially in an industry where talent is is so depleted. Yes. Yeah. It's a good time to be talent. <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure yeah. all of our listeners are quite talented and everyone's building up their skills and all of that. I think it's a, it's a fun time to be in the workforce. So with that, I appreciate all the insight, Lewis. It's been fun talking with you. Anything that you, any other nuggets you'd like to drop in there for the listeners or do we cover it? Um, no, I think we've covered it. I think if, if the only advice that I would give to my audience or, or anyone's audience would be to seek mentorship 
Um, it's just completely game changing, whether that's within your own organization or um, you find someone on LinkedIn you're, who, who's inspirational to you or you aspire to be, um, why not drop them a message, see if they can give you some pointers? That's literally what I did. And um, it was pivotal over the last three years from me being a consultant to then looking to have a double digit team and, and have a vision to continue growing times two, times three over the next two or three years. That's awesome. Yeah, is that something you kind of would say to check in with them once a month or once a quarter or develop a relationship with or even just a couple of conversations here and there? Yeah, I think it, it, it's dependent on what you want out of it. Um, like some of the conversations I have, I've got two mentors, uh, but some of the conversations completely vary. Um, but I just check in with them once a month um, because, again, things in any form of life, they change quickly. Um, so you could have one conversation about something that's really great and let's say it's a strategic point of view and you need some tips there. The other time it could be on something which you're struggling with, you really need assistance. So I feel like if you just have that, not necessarily day-to-day -day contact, but month-to-month -month contact, then anything that you're struggling or need assistance on, um, they can provide. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say that's probably my biggest tip. I like it. Yes, I have a couple of mentors in my life and career as well. So I know it's much appreciated. And if someone's uh, sees or wants to be a mentee and you to be their mentor, Lewis, I'm sure you're open to a LinkedIn message and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, more than more than happy to uh, well try and provide insight into uh, your day to day or your future career goals. There we go. Well, that's appreciated. And uh, thanks for the time. And with that, we'll let Lewis get back to his day job across the pond and we'll see you in just less than a month now. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on and uh, apologies for the, um, the signal. Oh, certainly not your fault. <laughs> thanks, Lewis. Cheers, bye. So thanks to Lewis for joining the show. A couple things that I learned from that. I think one is that he mentioned that it's a candidate's market. I think a lot of listeners to this show have experienced that as well. There's LinkedIn recruiters sending messages almost every day. And it seems like you could get a new job if you wanted very quickly. Now, the downside to that is most of the time, and Lewis acknowledged this, but recruiters are looking to fill positions so they reach out to people that are in similar positions with different companies. I know as a salesperson with that kind of role in my title, client services technically, I'll get a lot of account executive messages and things along that line where I don't necessarily want to switch to a job like that. Or if you're listening, boss, I don't want to switch jobs at all. <laughs> On top of that, I think Lewis would agree that unfortunately, it seems to take switching companies to get a big raise. So while you might get something, you know, year over year, I've noticed with myself and with some other people I've talked to that once you start getting down the recruitment path and you're actually looking at the new job, oftentimes you have to either have an offer or actually switch to a new company just to get your company to pay you what you're worth. And that's probably not a new phenomenon, but with remote work and with um, the internet, I just think that it makes it a lot more easy. 
So thanks to Lewis for sharing some of those insights. Feel free to reach out to him and uh, recruiters in other areas. I'd be happy to talk to to see what some of the similarities and differences are. So thanks again to Lewis and we'll see you next week.